For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us the most precious thing you have, your time, as we once again try to turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the information we really need to discern the times we live in. There's a lot going on in the world. We're going to cover it today, but let's start with the September 11th Remembrance, which was yesterday as we record this program. Um, I was open on Twitter I spent a couple of weeks trying to think about what I wanted to either write or do on this program were in regards to September 11th, which is now 21 years ago. It's old enough to drink. That's shocking. Seems like yesterday in some ways. Seems like another lifetime in other ways. And I just openly admitted on Twitter and to some other folks and to my family, frankly, I didn't know how to process it this time. I couldn't come up with something clever to write or something insightful. I don't know that I've just gone through it all or if I'm just processing it differently as I age and get older. I really didn't know what to think this year. So I told him I was going to retweet some things. I would do some remembrances, which I did. I made a few comments, but for the most part, I didn't really want to talk about it this year. It's not because it's not deeply meaning for me. It's one of the most important events in my entire life. It's not because I don't feel the loss and the grief. It's not because I feel the wound of what it did to my country and what the years after that did to our country. It's not because I don't understand all the immense loss of life because I don't know what to do after doing this 21 times. Maybe there's some things I needed to internalize and think a little differently on and reflect on. So that's the route I went with it. And sure enough, one of my worst fears about days like this, since I'm a bit of a public figure and I do things under my real name, there was a lot of hot takes of people trying to take 9-11 and slam it into whatever their current uh, thing of the moment, whatever their hot take machine wanted to put out, and mostly how they can make it all about them. Friend of ours uh, on Twitter, she's with Bruce at she's with Bruce is the account name. Um, made a very very pertinent observation here, replying to something that I'd commented on that was a little bit out of line. Said um, an example, my friends, constant reminder that things that are different are not the same. This is somebody that was on Twitter comparing 9/11 and the January 6th. And I said things that are different are not the same, especially in that case. We'll talk about that some other time. But She's with Bruce said this. It's a constant reminder that things are different are not the same. I'd like to add that this is one of the worst takes we'll see on today's Twitter, where this anniversary is like a Christmas tree and everything is being hung on it. I think they're absolutely right. I told them I'm going to steal that analogy. It's a good one. They blessed it. So please go follow them. They've been good supporters of our program. But it has become a Christmas tree. People show up once a year and hang ornaments on it and they stare at it and they light it up and they gather around it. 
And like Christmas or any other holiday you want to pick for that matter, if you're not particularly religious or of some other faith, people sometimes take it reverentially. Some people find it to be a sacred thing. Others find it to be a commercial thing. Others find it to be an excuse to figure out what they're going to get out of it. It really has become a Christmas tree, I'm afraid, to too many people. We have a whole generation of adults coming up now who have no living memory of it. And I wonder how they're going to react just to how we react to it. So I'm going to be honest. After 21 years of pain, of trying to process it, of trying to remember it, of trying to honor it, of trying to be a good American about it, I still struggle with it. It's an immense event. I don't tell my full story of 9-11, but the long and the short of it is I was blessed that I was already on active duty. So I saw the second plane hit the t on the TV like a lot of other people. And about the time I was upstairs and about had my uniform on, the phone was ringing, grab your A-bag and report. I'm very proud that I was one of the people that the phone rang to go do something about it. I'm proud of my years of service after that, even though it took us to some very diverse places and some very ugly things. And there's parts of my life and parts of myself that will be always changed from those events. But I would do it again. But other people didn't have the same experience. Everybody saw 9-11 through their own prism. And now we have a lot of people, I'm afraid, that only see it through their own prism and without any other retrospective or any other perspective or any other thought put into it. I can't answer for all of them. I'll answer for me. I'd rather just admit I struggled this year. Maybe next year I feel differently. Last year I felt a little differently, the 20th anniversary. Maybe that had something to do with it. My children are getting older. Maybe that has something to do with it. I'm getting older. Maybe that has something to do with it. I have my own health issues that are looming and looking like they may be quite serious this fall. So I get more empathetic about things like the health care of the rescue workers and the first responders. I get a little touchy about the veterans from the 20 years of warfare that we've waged since then, because I am one of them. And I know a lot of friends that are involved in that, that struggle to this day. And I know friends who are not here to struggle because they paid the ultimate price in defending our country because of what happened that day. We can talk about the politicians and the bad foreign policy and all that. But on these days, I think I'd rather just have some honesty. Some years, no matter how much I know or how much I care or how much I love my country, it's just hard. And this year it was really, really hard. So I'd rather put my hand up and admit I ain't got nothing for you that's real deep and intellectual this year. I'm just going to struggle with it internally. Maybe I'll write something in a week or two. We'll see how it goes. But can we do that? Let's not make it like a Christmas tree and like Christmas has become. Just a commercial event that we go through the motions with every year. Now, having said that in my mind, I know that's probably what it's going to become for most folks. It's just a date on the calendar and a ritual to observe. But I would hope and pray that a bunch of us that are Americans, that love our country, and that remember what that day was like, watching it, experiencing it, and what happened since can put a little bit more meaning on it and explain to other folks, no, this is something that you need to put some honest reflection on, not just because it happened, but because of how it affected your life and your country and your world. Or at least that's what I'm praying. More hurt tell right after this.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hertel. Big doings in Ukraine. It looks like now some of this is unconfirmed and it's still a very fluid situation, but it looks like Ukraine has scored a massive victory in the field against the invading Russians. Uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense uh, or whatever they're called over there, their spokesman gave an address admitting that they were, quote unquote, pulling back their forces from the region that is in, in, in dispute and that the Ukrainians have been launching a counteroffensive in. How well is it going? So well that the Russians are retreating and they're leaving a lot of equipment behind them. Now, the Russians say they're withdrawing. The Ukrainians got a lot of video that shows that they are running for their lives and they're leaving their equipment behind them. If this holds up to be what it looks like, this is one of the greatest counteroffensives that the world has seen in many, many years. This is an incredible military breakthrough by the Ukrainian armed forces, volunteers and all the people fighting for the Ukrainians. Uh, let's go to the BBC.com. The remarkable advanced, if confirmed means Kiev's forces have tripled their startling gains. In a little over 48 hours on Thursday evening, President Zelensky put the figure at 1,000 square kilometers and then 2,000 square kilometers by Saturday evening. The BBC cannot verify the figures, and journalists have been denied access to the front line. But on Saturday, the eastern counterattack saw Ukrainian troops enter the vital Russian-held supply towns of Izium and Kubiansk. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing those right, but I'm glad the Ukrainians got them back. But the UK defense officials have warned the fighting has continued outside of those towns and officials in Kyiv said Ukrainian forces were still fighting to gain control of a number of the settlements around Izium. Russia's defense ministry confirmed its forces retreated from Izium itself and Kupinstak, I guess. We'll practice this some other time. You get the idea. You can Google it, folks. Which is said it would allow forces to, quote unquote, to regroup in territory held by Moscow-backed separatists. They're running. Uh, the Russian ministry also confirmed the withdrawal of troops from a third key town, Balakavia, in order to, quote, booster efforts on the Donetsk front. The Ukrainian forces entered the town there on Friday at the same time the head of the Russian installed administration in the Kharkiv region recommended its people evacuate to Russia to, quote, unquote, save their lives. It's a fluid situation. It sure looks like the Ukrainians' counteroffensive is working. They're taking back territory. And the toll the Russians have been extracted by the Ukrainian bravery is starting to really tell the disorganization of the Russian forces, their will to fight, and most of all, their terrible logistics operation, which we've been telling you about since the beginning of this. I've worked on Russian aircraft. Their logistics suck. They've always sucked. They don't know how to do it, and their NCO Corps is lacking, which is who you need to really make logistics work. It's an officer-heavy uh, army. And that don't work when it comes time to kick boxes and move stuff. Beans and bullets win wars. Fighting spirit wins battles. Right now, the Russians are losing both. May it continue. I had somebody get in my DMs, one of our friends who's a little more libertarian and anti-war got against me about my take on Ukraine. So let me just lay this out as plainly as I can. I hate war. 
I hate war in the way that only someone who has seen war can possibly hate it. But war is the constant in human history. It is not the exception because bad people want to push their luck and conquer other people. Russia had no excuse to invade Ukraine other than to conquer it. Anything else is BS and propaganda. They wanted to conquer and destroy the Ukrainian people and take it over. Therefore, my position on the Ukrainian war is very simple. I hope the Ukrainians give them so much hell that they never seek to wage war again. Because again, I hate war. The only way you get peace is to either prevent war in the first place, or when somebody is so hell-bent on providing war and getting war and waging war, you give it right back to them so hard that they quit it or are unable to continue waging war. Those are your only two options. Everything else is fairy tales, because this is how human history has always worked. May the Ukrainians give the Russians so much hell that they never again try to rage war on them. More Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, let's talk about everybody's favorite company, Amazon, for and against. It is all over the news. It is in your homes or on your porch. Hopefully nobody stole it. Porch Pirates is a different subject, though. Caden Rosenbaum, new voice, new face. Always excited to have new people on the show. Sharp guy. We're going to be talking a little Amazon with him. Caden, how are you today, sir? Thank you so much for the time. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, we've been talking about Amazon a lot. Let's start big picture for just a second though, because you're going to use a specific example here. So let's start big, though, because everybody's got an opinion on Amazon because they're that dominant in the market. Everybody knows what they are. They they probably have one of the higher name recognitions of any brand and company in the world, I would think, especially at least in the Western world. As a company, because we know people, you know, they're picking at them about the labor stuff. They pick on them about the monopoly stuff. Bezos, of course, is a lightning rod because of various things, both personal and professional. And they're just a massive company. What's your take overall on Amazon, just so we have a baseline here? Because a lot of people, it's just a place to buy stuff and it gets to your house quick. But there's this whole other political side to Amazon, too, isn't there? Well, I guess I should preface with a little conflict of interest here. I've been a Prime subscriber for I don't know how many years, and I'm a, I'm a big fan, right? Um, but beyond just that, I think Amazon is a, is a great service to consumers and overall. It's, it's done what even Walmart couldn't have done uh, even back in the days. It brings you products from way off places for cheap prices, and it's always convenient. It's got two-day shipping now. And some places, like where I live, they're building a brand-new distribution center out here. We're going to have even less than 48 hours. You mentioned Walmart. I think that's something important to bring up here because I'm older than you. Almost all the criticisms I hear about Amazon, they're a monopoly. They're too powerful. They're destroying small businesses. They're doing this, that, and the other. Almost word for word, the labor stuff, although, you know, not that they don't have probably some sketchy labor practices that should be investigated. Almost word for word, all the criticism in mass news media and in the commentariat that I hear about Amazon is all the stuff I heard about Walmart 20, 25, 30 years ago. It's the same story over against a new narrative. 
Isn't part of this, though, is just whoever the biggest guy on the block is or the biggest company on the block or the biggest whoever that's in our cultural notice, they're going to get most of the slings and arrows when it comes to issues like this. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like deja vu, doesn't it? Uh, I think it was back in 2004, 2005, when Walmart was the big bully on the block that was uh, it was being taken on by Congress. And really, this isn't a new trend in American politics or American economics. This is this goes back even back to the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1890. The big argument was that the companies would overtake the government or capture regulatory control by influencing legislators with money. That started back in 1890, went to 1914 when the Clayton Act was passed, both antitrust acts in the federal Congress. And the, the concerns were always the same, that companies are so dominant that they would overthrow the government, that that was, that was the big concern. And fast forward to today, we know that almost all of the companies that everyone was concerned about at the time no longer exist or are wildly unprofitable compared to the new dominant players. It's always a business cycle of dominant versus new versus upcoming. And it's it's easy to argue that there's wide uh, corporate control when there's a new player on the block or someone that you don't quite understand, such as big tech companies. But really, in the grand scheme of things, this is all the same as it's always been. It will always be a big company that rises and then a new player that comes in and knocks them down a few. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with somebody that's a disruptor in a sector like Walmart disrupted and they made their money. It wasn't their stores and their cheap prices. Those cheap prices came from their they did a world class way of doing logistics. That's where they they became Walmart. But then that same logistics thing is what kind of addled them the last few years when Amazon came up, because now Amazon got rid of all the overhead. They don't have to do all the logistics that Walmart does. Yeah. It, these things go in cycles. I think it's a great point to point out. That brings me to something that you touch on in your article we're going to talk about. But we, we've talked about this in the legal realm. We talk about this in the technology realm. We talk about this in a lot of other realms. This is one of those things where legislation and regulation and the law is always chasing and they're never going to catch up. I'm always really leery. And you just mentioned it with Amazon. They want to regulate Amazon. They want to regulate Facebook is a good example of this. Well, by the time they get around to regulating Facebook, my teenagers don't use Facebook. That's two technologies ago for them. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Like we oh, tend to saying. regulate way behind. So you can say Amazon needs regulation, but by the time they actually get around to doing it, the market's already changed again. Is there any way to bridge that gap where the legislation and the regulation actually keeps up? Or are they just going to keep chasing the next big thing and be behind the curve, do you think? Well, the the prevailing trend for the last, I'd say, 40 years since about 1983 was to just focus on consumer welfare. If a company is actually being unfair or deceptive and harming consumer welfare, meaning they can obtain goods at a cheap price that are quality, uh, if if a company is harming that consumer welfare, then they ought to be looked at and face antitrust scrutiny. But if they're doing good by the consumer, if they're giving good prices for good products, then there's no reason to break them up. They're, they're a good value add to consumers. Um, these days, with some shifts in the FTC, the standard has changed quite a bit. And it's no longer about consumer welfare. It's about size, power, and, and monetary dominance. And that's, I mean, that's one measure of looking at it. But in the grand scheme of things, if, if we just look back uh, only a century, that's not the way that the economy works. It's always going to be cyclical. And yeah. I, I don't know about you, but just one of the things that Walmart has done to try to keep up with Amazon is grocery delivery. 
And that was a great move, uh, spurred on by Uber Eats and DoorDash and Instacart. And if we expect companies to grow, it's going to be because other smaller players like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Instacart move in and show a different kind of product. And that's exactly what Amazon did to rise to power. It's exactly what Walmart did. It's it's almost just... Uh, it's almost new, uh, naive to say that that's not going to happen again. Yeah. Cade Rosenbaum joins us. Put your lawyer hat on for just a second. Then we're going to go through a couple of the examples you've been writing about Amazon though, but size and market dominance does not equal a monopoly. Now I know on Twitter, those two things are used interchangeably, but that's not really the case, is it? Oh no, not at all. There's uh, a countless number of antitrust factors that you should be looking at to figure out if a company is a true monopoly or not. There first has to be complete market dominance, which is market control. And the big problem there is you have to define the market. Um, The latest one that we'll be talking about later is the market for smart home devices. What does that mean? Is it just Alexa? Is it the little robot vacuums? Is it also the smart bulbs that go in your house? What is the market for smart home devices? That's the first test. You figure out what that means. And then you get to the point where you figure out who has the most dominant position and what constitutes dominance really is also up to interpretation. If you can somehow get across all of those boundaries, then you have to show that there's consumer harm because of monopoly or foreseeable consumer harm. And all of that takes years, if even decades, uh, as Microsoft saw in their case that was recently settled, started in the early 2000s and was only recently settled. Yeah, which goes back to what we were just talking about, of the regulation always running behind these things. You've got to be kind of cognizant of it. Okay, so that's the terminology of it. Let's get to a couple of the examples you were writing about. Caden Rosenbaum joining us. By the way, he's got one of the greatest Twitter header pictures I've ever seen. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Just go find it. Oh, we're linking to it. You see it. I love it so much, but that's one of my... My wedding wedding photographer was a fellow lawyer, and she took a great picture of me, Kathleen Burke. Yeah, um, and his header take uh, is even better. <laughs> you have two examples here. You mentioned it already, so let's start with the robot vacuum things. I was actually joking with my kids because I've got one of these things, um, and I got the little app on my phone, and it actually, I can watch on the app. The first time I turned it on, it maps the house, right? It goes around and maps mm-hmm. the house, and I was showing them. It looks almost like the old Tetris or something. I'm like, you know, when I was a kid, this was a really good video game. Now this is the vacuum cleaning my house. That's how much technology has changed. When people think about a technology change like this, it's silly. It's like, well, it's a robot vacuum and it doesn't replace cleaning the floor. It just kind of does that first layer. I still got to clean the floor, but it is a nice convenience and it is something that's electronic. And it is one of those things that is online and it's an app on my phone. Like, you know, because I like I'll be recording a show like this. and I forget. And I got to go turn it off real quick. I got an app on my phone. People, when something's in your house like that, it gets personal. You mentioned Alexa um, and the other home things, you know, Google's, you know, Google's got one. Apple's got one. Everybody's got one of these things now. The ring doorbells isn't part of this before we even get to the politics and the policy and the legal part of it. 
We are personalizing much more of this technology. It's in our home. It's a daily thing. That changes how we deal with it before you even get to the rest of it, doesn't it? It could. It depends on the way you look at it. Do you want less technology in your home to personalize and make your life more convenient, or do you want more? Uh, for me personally, I have more. I mean, all the lights in this room right now are smart bulbs. I've got an Alexa over there in the corner. I'm really surprised it hasn't gone off yet. Um, and and I have a iRobot upstairs to vacuum up my dog hair uh, for me. It's all very convenient for me because I don't have to spend uh, 30 minutes to an hour, you know, vacuuming or cleaning. There's a robot that I can ask questions to instead of going and Googling them myself. Uh, my life is extremely convenient and that's my choice. Uh, it's really about choice, whether you want that or whether you'd like a lifestyle where things are more analog, where you live a little more off grid. And I don't think that we're coming to a point where you have to make the choice one way or the other. I think the choice is still in the hands of the consumer and that's great. Where it should be, because like me, I we've got four dogs. So that's basically what my, my poor little <laughs> robot does. Is it's just, it, I could have a fifth dog by the time that thing runs. <laughs> but that's my limit on the technology is I have that. I don't have anything voice activated. I don't have things that record in the house. That That's just my personal line. And we can, you know, people can argue that. But I don't like it. I don't like things listening to me. I don't like things recording me. We know how those things work. But that's my line. But that should be a consumer choice thing, not a regulatory thing is what we're really driving at here because somebody, they may not want a motorized vacuum. They may want everything in their house uh, voice activated. They may have, you know, people with disabilities. Uh, This stuff is fantastic for them because they can voice activate things that they can't physically get. How much of our policy on things like this, when you're talking about an Amazon or you're talking about an Apple or Ring Doorbells, another great one of these, how much of our policy do we have to be careful about our need to regulate everything when really a lot of this stuff should be all of the above, not picking and choosing, correct? Well, I think that that's uh, a good start to the conversation. I mean, for example, if in the market there is a vacuum that also sends out poison darts or something, right? That's that's a situation where you might want to regulate. That's or you would want to awesome. regulate. That's awesome. Where do I get one of you those? Know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You might want it, but the regulators and me personally would hope that you wouldn't buy it. So it might be regulated. Um, there's also concerns about data privacy that pop up in any kind of new technology that's meant for consumers. And I think it's fair to be really concerned about that and trying to build better frameworks to make sure that people's personal data isn't leaked through improper collection or storage practices and to make sure it's not misused by the companies themselves. Um, now, Nowadays, we have multiple state laws. Uh, GDPR is also in effect, and that usually governs the big uh, big consumer electronics companies. And so it's not as big of an issue as it might have been you know, five or six years ago. We're having less data breaches. Um, but that's also a concern that might be regulated. However, the ability to purchase a product for a lower price or the ability for two companies to merge and create better products together really isn't something that consumers should be as concerned about unless it's something like they're going to drive prices up and drive down quality that that should only that should be the only consideration for antitrust in this in this context and you just mentioned it and this is a big thing the thing that folks got to remember when it was walmart always low prices that's because they were so big they could drive down prices you mm-hmm. detail it with amazon this technology like the robot vacuums like ring doorbell you mentioned both of these examples it's amazon's size and their market share and their ability to um, distribute these products and deliver these products, that's what's driving down costs on this really amazing cutting edge new technology that everybody wants, isn't it? 
yeah, it's the economies of scale. You know, if it's competing with a mom and pop shop selling, uh, let's say it's a toy store, and they're competing with the toy store who has a set list of suppliers, set list of customers in one small town, obviously Amazon has an advantage. And that that is one of the concerns of some of the recent antitrust reform efforts is the smaller shops. But you have to consider which one's better for consumers, not so much other businesses, because at the end of the day, it should be about lowering prices. I mean, we're, we're headed for economic hardship, or we may have hit finally the end of the worst of it, but we were headed for economic hardship. And things like this were extremely important uh, for consumers. Yeah. Caden Rosenbaum joining him. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We're going to continue to talk about Amazon, robot vacuums, some other stuff Amazon does, like Kindle, something I've been a fan of for a long, long time. Caden uh, Rosenbaum joining us, talking Amazon when her tale continues right after this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Caden Rosenbaum joining us, another one of our great young voices contributors. He's one of them lawyer folks. But for the purposes of this uh, conversation, we're not going to hold that against him. He's been writing about Amazon a little bit. Let's talk two products. We mentioned one of them already, and we're going to get into the other one. People, if, if you're one of those people that Amazon is just the big bad in the world, I think it's fair for them to hear this part of the story. Let's take Kindle, something I absolutely love because I'm I'm an avid reader. When Kindle came out, this was one of my favorite things that ever happened was, oh, I can e-read Kindle. I remember when I was in the hospital in 2016, that was a you know, godsend. I could just e-read and couldn't have books and stuff. I've been a fan of Kindle since it came out. Kindle today is very different than when it first came out. In fact, e-publishing in general is very different than it came out. And this is an example of Amazon, frankly, because you know I'm a self-published writer too. I've been down that road. 
this is an example of Amazon. I think some people complain about it, but from my most positively experienced for the most part, they've made it cheaper. They've made it more accessible. And somebody just sitting in their house somewhere can put something on Amazon and get it theoretically in front of millions of people. This is pretty amazing technology. And I think sometimes we don't stop and realize just what a ground shift something like Kindle and other e-readers too, but Kindle's the big one. What a difference that has made over time, do we? Yeah. No, I mean, it's incredible, really. Uh, every book behind me here, at least as many as I could, I have in PDF form because that's where I read them. Uh, personally, I use the the Remarkable tablet because I can write on it and make notes and things. But uh, Kindle has just been an incredible innovation over the, the last decade or so. Um, it started out being really, really expensive. And these days you can get one for like 100 bucks. And you can choose whether you want ads or not to make it even cheaper. Uh, there's the Kindle Fire. There's the regular e-reader. There's all kinds of things to compete with. And as far as you know, self-published authors that can now use Amazon as a platform for publishing, it's been incredible. I mean, there's one book that I'm a really big fan of, and it's uh, Follow Me to Alaska, written by one of my former neighbors who moved out to Alaska with her husband, wrote this book and gained huge following. I think she made it to the New York Times bestseller list. And then behind me is From Harvard to Homeless by Franklin Lee. And this is his second book that he has on Amazon, uh, which is just a great story of his journey in the van life and what that's been like. He's also in policy. And so he's, he's a policy professional who's had to navigate van life at the same time. It's a great book. Um, for small publishers like that, Amazon is huge. You don't have to go to Penguin Publishing House to make sure that you're getting your work out there. It's not like, uh, to make a reference to Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's not like uh, The Nine Lives by Paul Varjak, where it shows promise, right? It's, it's huge. You can put your book out there and let readers decide. That's really great. It is great. In, fa in fact, I still have physical Kindles, but um, I've got the app on my phone now. I just read it off my phone because I've got a big, oh, yeah. you know, and I've got the desktop app too. The other part of that is, and we've told people on the show before, you mentioned the PDFs. There is so much of classical literature, things that are out of print, things that are out of date, and also almost every academic paper with a couple of exceptions, you can get the PDFs for free. There is mm -hmm. so much knowledge for free that you can get through Kindle and other e-readers too, as long as you got a PDF reader, this the same trick works. You can literally go on Kindle and just go show me all the free stuff. And it's, it's exactly. more reading than you'll ever do in your entire, if three lifetimes you couldn't read it all. That's an amazing piece of technology that actually has some good practical implications. Um, you put it this way, that this was an example of Amazon continuing to improve consumer products. Talk about it this way, though, you know, a little bit of your lawyer hat again. Consumer products and improving for the consumer isn't just variety. It's also advancements in technology. It's also consumer choice. It's also consumers feeling like they're getting quality for the product. Amazon seems to be big enough that they can do all those things at the same time. It doesn't make them perfect, but being a big company, that really does free them up to do those sorts of things, doesn't it? Because sometimes they can be like, yeah, we can take a bath on these new authors because we know we're going to get more people onto our subscription service or whatever the case may be. Oh, exactly. And I mean, uh, just to quote a movie about Steve Jobs, how do they know what they want, consumers? How do consumers know what they want if they haven't even seen it, Right. And Amazon, as well as Apple and Google and Facebook are able, or in Meta, are able to try new things, show consumers products that they may not have considered beforehand and really push them out at scale that they need to, to make them adopted. Uh, and, and some of the things that 
they pushed out, consumers didn't even know they wanted. Like uh, VR headsets, for example, from Meta. Uh, Google's got uh, the Nest, you know, and the uh, Amazon Alexa is another product that was just something that people didn't know they wanted until they saw it, and it was great. Um, the Kindle e-reader is just another example. I think you could always pull PDFs down on your computer, but to have it in your hand, you know, just like a just like a book where you you needed a nightlight in bed uh, to read it as you went to sleep, that was huge. And you could carry ten or twelve books in your backpack without the the weight of like a hundred pounds of pages. Right? That's huge. That's a great improvement to to technology. Yeah, and I was an online college student. I did most of my college online. Um, I was there for the changeover from they shipped you your books to everything's on ebook now. And now my two high schoolers, they have almost no school books. Everything's online. Of course, they're issued laptops and everything else, but all their books are in line. This is all within the last you know, 15 years. It's a huge groundswell. Let's talk about another one that we see. We don't think about this one as much, but um, I ring and the doorbell cameras and the smart doorbells. Amazon bought them, bought out ring in 2018. I didn't think about this. I was looking at your Twitter feed when you were tweeting about this, though. There's two times we see these a lot. One is what you did where, you know, the cat starts licking it and it becomes a cute pet photo. Yeah. We just saw it in the tragic Anne Hesch thing out in Hollywood. We saw it in uh, the police shooting video a couple of weeks ago. More and more, we're getting instant breaking news out of doorbell feeds. It's become, now we got it on the front of our house. This is a major technology shift too, not just for home security and things like that. This has become a new form of media almost too, hadn't it? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a form of content creation, or it's a tool for content creation at this point. I mean, I saw a video. It's one of my favorites. It's of uh, whenever the power plant exploded in Texas here recently. Uh, the The night sky lit up in purple because it was chemical, or it was a chemical plant, right? And this guy comes running out in his underwear uh, to his front porch and is yelling all kinds of explicitives. And I just, I think it's really funny to just watch this guy standing in his underwear with his, his hands on his hips. He's a classic Texas guy. Uh, reminds me of my dad almost because I'm, I'm from Texas as well. Um, Ring is all kinds of, of content creation for those reasons, but it can also capture really important things like shootings or uh, locating whenever a suspect left a store it was definitely them. And my colleague, Leslie Corbley, you had on, on the show recently, uh, has an article about Ring and the privacy concerns that come from police requesting those records and those videos. But as a consumer tool, this is great. And it's not just about content creation. It's about home security. Because before this, if someone rang your doorbell, you have to look through little people or open the door, in my case, if you don't have a people. And you put yourself at risk to if the person on the other side of the door is dangerous. And for a lot of people, being able to go on their phone and say, yes, who are you, even if they're not even really there, is huge. And it's always recording. So if someone does try to attack them, they've got the recording, they can take it to the police and do that. If someone's at their home and they aren't home at the time, they can also call the police and say, there's someone in my home that should not be, and they're trying to get in. And then finally, for the package thieves, I think we talked about this earlier, but with package thieves and porch pirates, that's also a huge tool because it can show first that your package was stolen and Amazon will probably replace it, or uh, B, that that's the person who stole You can identify the person who stole it, catch the plates they drive away. That's really huge. That's not just uh, a camera in a box. That's a doorbell that can protect your home, protect your family and help you stay safe. 
And that's a great innovation that Amazon purchased. Before they purchased it, it was like 200 bucks to buy one. It's a little cost prohibitive. Uh, these days, the newer version, it's two years improved, is only $100. And that's not even Prime Day. That's standard price. So that's one of the benefits of Amazon acquiring a company. So they take a product that's already great, and then they lower prices, and they improve the quality. Yeah, and somebody who's had, not that my current house, but the one before that's had my home broken into, really wish I would have had something on video so we could have yeah. uh, nabbed those folks or at least maybe got some of the stuff back. Um let's do this though to be fair because we both like amazon but let's be fair they're a big company big companies with a lot of power and a lot of money they need accountability because things can go sideways what's the appropriate way to hold a company like amazon accountable because i i i know the online reddit gets out of control and i know they're the big bully on the box so everybody's going to have their protests against them because that's where all the money is and that's where all the unions are focusing because they're not a union company and so on and so forth the average consumer though even if you really, really like Amazon, things you like, you want to hold them accountable so it continues because it's a good service. What's a, what are the some of the practical ways we really should be trying to keep Amazon uh, on the up and up with things, not just as consumers, but also as people who pay attention to politics as well? Is it in advocacy? Is it in providing for certain kind of regulation or preventing certain kind of regulation, as the case may be? Is it how we talk about it on social media, which obviously they're very sensitive to? What's a good, responsible way to try to hold these kind of big companies uh, accountable, do you think? Well, I think it all comes down to the consumer. And I, I really don't mean to make that the generic argument that I'm going to keep bringing up. But, you know, as a consumer, you might just question how much you're using Amazon. Is that your sole source of purchasing products and groceries and all of that? Or are you also using other products? Because if you are concerned about power and market dominance, then you might consider you know, going to a grocery store instead of going to Amazon Fresh, or you might consider uh, using Manny Thing instead of uh, Ring Doorbells. There's, there's a ton of different options for you out there. And if you are concerned about power, then you should just go seek out another option. Tell your friends to. It's not really about a stranglehold on the market. That's, that's not the reality of it. And with that, brings a lot of power to consumers to choose something else. Uh, if they're concerned about union wages and, and or non-union wages and, and labor disputes, uh, they should raise their voice. And that did happen during the, the pandemic, which forced, I think, forced Amazon to increase wages and make all kinds of benefits available to them. Uh, Bernie Sanders was a really big advocate for this, and I, I think it had a really good effect on these companies by just calling them out over and over again. Um, this isn't a new tactic. These aren't new tactics that consumers and advocates have used uh, before. I mean, it stretches back years, but it's still a tool that's always available. And so whenever uh, regulators come out with a reform effort because the dominance is out of control or consumers are being harmed, I always question it because the other tools, the other mechanisms for making companies move are always are, are still available. Yeah. Caden Rosenbaum. Okay, one more thing before we let you go. Great information on Amazon, though. Uh, but friends hold friends accountable. I was looking at your Twitter feed. I have a question. You tweeted on April the 27th. I just WebMD'd my inability to remember acronyms is a problem. And it literally just turned up more acronyms. Caden Rosenbaum, defend your tweet. Oh, yeah. Acronyms are <laughs> the bane of my existence. If I had a choice, I would force people to say what the acronym means. Uh, my wife is in digital advertising and she's always using uh, acronyms at me 
to explain how her day went. And I have to stop her every 30 seconds to say, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, also, tech policy is just filled with acronyms. Um, NFT is a new one. You know, non-fungible tokens. Uh, that's what people should be saying, but it doesn't sound as good as NFT. Um, yeah, really just if we could just get to a world where acronyms were not used, I might actually understand it a little better. And that would be great. Yeah, I can I can understand where your wife using acronyms could create a snafu for your house. And <laughs> as an FNG here on the new uh, Hertel program and being the new guy, we can see where this is a problem. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, listen, let me tell you something to somebody who was in the military and other things. Don't ever do government service if you don't like acronyms, because that's all it is. It's its own language. You, almost. Google is a powerful tool for someone who doesn't know acronyms. Hey, I I ain't above Googling some some an editor sent me something the other day. He's like, well, do this. And I was like, sure, right after I Google your acronym, literally what I messaged him. <laughs> I'm with you on the acronyms, my friend. Caden Rosenbaum, great information. Loved having you. We'll definitely have you back. Till folks see you on Hertel again, though, let them know where they can follow you, what you have going on, and how they can keep up with you until we see you again, my friend. Well, first and foremost, you can find me on libertas.org, which is L-I-B-E-R-T-A-S.org. And if you want to know my funny tweets and my struggles with acronyms, you can find me on Twitter, and it's at Caden Rosenbaum. Those are the two places. That's where I'm always at. And if you need me, you can ping me there. He's a very serious tweeter, too. It was hard to find anything jokey in his Twitter feed. He's a very sharp, smart guy. Yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff on there. Make sure you're following him. You can see it on the on-screen graphic on the YouTube. Caden Rosenbaum, great job today. We will link to all the writing that we talked about with you. Make sure you read all the pieces for yourself. Good job, buddy. Looking forward to talking to you again real soon, sir. Thank you for the time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, sir. Tell we always try to end on an uplifting note. It's usually some kind of charity or something like that. This is a great one. This comes from our friend Keith Conrad. Uh, we use his stuff a lot. He has something called New Side Quest, has all kinds of great little stories on it. You should sign up for it. We'll link to that. But one of the things and one of the podcasts he's involved in, this is a great one. Miles for Change, episode one, Dare to Try. Uh, Dare to Try specializes in adaptive sports. They have built an inclusive community that provides training and proper tools for people living with physical disabilities or visual impairments to become endurance athletes. These individuals gain the confidence to achieve personal goals through both participation and para-athletics. For links to people featured in the episode, you can go to their website, Miles for Change Podcast. This is a public episode that we're going to talk about here. You can also visit their substack, milesforchange.substack.com. We're going to link to it. But what's so great about this one is uh, something near and dear to my heart. I've talked to it many times before. Um, Special Olympics, my mother was a special education teacher for 35 years. I grew up around these folks. Uh, I have a heart for them. Uh, for over 50 years, Special Olympics Chicago has provided opportunities for thousands of athletes living with intellectual disabilities. The organization has provided a sustainable community for the athletes and their families while offering a wide variety and wide range of athletic play and competitive events all years round story from the charity partner organizations, the people they help, and those who run the Chicago Marathon to support them. It's hosted by Jen DeSalvo, 
We're going to link to it. Again, that's from our friend Keith Conrad. Miles for Change. Go check out the podcast. And if you can help Special Olympics in your area, you don't have to give them money. They love volunteers. You can just go to these races and help. I guarantee you these are going to be some of the most special people you ever met. They will change your life. They'll also change your perspective. Please go do it. That'll do it for Hertel. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. This program only works because you listen and we appreciate it. And you give us the greatest thing you have, your time. We never want to disrespect it. That means we want to hear from you. Uh, Hertelshow at gmail.com. You can send us an email at Hertelshow on the Twitter. You can DM us there or send a message. Love to hear from you. Also, however, you're watching on YouTube, uh, on the Big Talkers Facebook page. If you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, almost all of them have some kind of a commenting section. We do get those and read those. We will answer you there. Also, if you could give us a rating and a comment, that would be great. Let's other people know our program is worth checking out. And if you really want to do us a solid, share us on your social media. We don't pay for advertising. All our advertising here is word of mouth and in-house what we do on our own social media. And our growth is all because of you. And we thank you greatly for it. So we continue to try to turn down the noise of the news media and get to the information we need to discern the times we live in. So wherever you and yours are across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you are well fed. We can't wait to talk to you again next time on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. So much lemon.